2: Hello and welcome to Shite Talk History, an Irish history podcast. I've got the name of the podcast wrong again. Is that two or three? I weeks like in a it. row?
3: you know what? I think we just change it. How much would it cost to just change all of the all of the branding? Nothing. At least I would say at least like ten minutes of effort on our behalf, it. which
2: makes Forget me it. feel like it's not going to happen. So it's Shite Talk, an Irish history podcast. Fine.
3: Um, were you watching? footage of the uh, the Dublin br- breathe oh. marches on Saturday. <laughs>
2: oh, yeah, uh, yeah uh, all I could say was I hope that in the future none of those people will be breathing. Sorry. Breathing. <coughs> Not dead, just a bad COVID case. Yeah, yeah, sure.
3: A couple of children were definitely conceived at that rally. Oh, that's a sad thought. But uh, for anyone who didn't see it, like the, the climactic point of the rally was some lad going up and firing a firework at, I don't know, probably two meters distance, right at a guard's head. But I saw a lot of um, comments then on the like, Breathe Ireland Facebook page. And they're all, in you know, maybe 20% of them were saying, Ah, this makes us look bad. This isn't a good look. You should be bringing fireworks to a rally. And then 80% of them were just screaming about Antifa. And they're talking about how the guy was a guardy plant. <laughs> which... I had seen. I... But imagine if imagine if you went down to the in the rally, uh, you know, and you just <laughs> with the intent of taking a guard's head off, and you're really going to stick it to the man. You're going to show them what a fucking legend you are. And then as soon as you do it, everyone on the internet's just calling you an Antifa plant. You'd be you'd be raging. Well, I don't know if you take someone's head off because I did look into
2: it afterwards, and that's what people were saying that that firework wouldn't kill you. It just really hurt still yeah that's, it's like don't in, here's 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 a good idea don't assault a police officer at an illegal gathering don't yeah. don't do that he's been caught now hasn't he
3: um i, I don't know i'd imagine so because there was there was footage of him before he fired the firework the nation's bored so it needs oh, yeah. a scapegoat it needs someone for
2: everyone to look at and, and uh like a, you know burn an effigy of that man basically
3: but if he did get hit in the face with a firework that wouldn't be good.
2: Well, I could take the eye from you, I'll tell you that. You're, yeah, yeah. These, these guards Kev, probably have an extra eye. They're a third eye. They're Illuminati-style eyes,
3: so they've one spare. You're, de- <laughs> You're dead right, Jason. But every time there's been one of these rallies where everyone gets together to give out about, and people definitely have legitimate grievances about how, you know, the lockdown is being handled here in this country. But uh, there's always... It's the same people where they're kinda like, Are you you sick of lockdown? Do you mistrust the government? Yeah. Let's get friggin let's get rid of lockdown and also, what about immigrants? And also, women back in the kitchen. What's this about this COVID thing? It's sick that everyone has to stay inside all the time. It's disgraceful. The men should be allowed out. And and politicians are touching our kids. That's of the course. other one.
2: That's yes. the I've now started to see even more of those things pop up online, which is pretty funny. Uh of like Irish-based uh, conspiracy theories, like governmental Irish conspiracy theories, which are like, okay. I don't, I don't think that's true. I mean, it's, I'm but they're sure not it's... even
3: they're not even well thought out. They're all just like copied verbatim from America. There's a lot of stuff about like how RTE. There was someone who was interviewed in the news there. The article was doing the rounds over the weekend, and they were talking about how they thought RTE was killing children in order to make face creams to keep them eternally young. Anyone who's had any interaction with RTE, how would you think that they were on the ball enough to be operating? Ireland's a small country. Like, you can't walk down the road without bumping into your second cousin and your whole family knowing about it. Actually, my second cousin cut down a hedge the other week, and it was the talk of the town. I, I was I was getting phone calls about it day and night. There's not a hope that RTE could be disappearing a thousand children a year in order to keep themselves looking young, and no one would be talking about it.
2: No, not to hope. Well, although now that you mention it, I, I I do have this problem with Owen McDermott and he does look very young for a man who's probably close to 40. So, actually, do you know what Orty are? It's, um, yes,
3: they're, <laughs> they're funneling all the money into Owen McDermott to keep him looking young. That was, it was a very
2: stupid conspiracy theory that I shouldn't be reading and then spending a lot of time researching.
3: But uh, enough of Current Affairs, we're, we're a history podcast, and... Hey, 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 Kevin, Kevin, it's International Women's Month. Yeah, it's true. So we've got a story about a woman, if you'd believe such a thing. But not only is it Women's History Month, Jason, it's also the week before St. Patrick's Day.
2: Which, if if, if I'm right, falls in the middle of
3: Irish Month. St. Patrick's Month. Myself and Jason have written a Shy talk episode about St. Patrick, and... If you would like us to read it to you and your co-workers uh, for some sort of St. Patrick's Day mid-lockdown morale booster, then you can get in touch with us on Jason's mobile number or shytalkhistory at gmail.com or get on to us at shytalkhistory on Instagram. three
2: one four five five seven eight seven one one zero uh, I had another person reach out there last week again. It's it's great. Oh yeah, I haven't just yeah because it's I'm only in America for like another few months, so it's, it's not really an inconvenience to me to have strangers messaging me.
3: Well, that's great. Yeah, so just ring Jason if you want to uh, if you want us to come on to a Zoom call or a Teams call or any sort of virtual call and chat yeah, if shit you're, for
2: like an If you're rich and you just like us, you want to be our patron. You can just uh, do a private chat. We'll talk to you on your own. Maybe call in one or two of your friends. We'll
3: do that. We'll sell our souls. Absolutely. But I think that's all the soul selling we're going to do for this episode. So, well, apart from if you'd all you like to else?
2: support us, yeah, you can go and follow us on History at buymeacoffee.com. There'll be a link there on our Instagram page. It actually went away the other week, so some people were reaching out saying they couldn't find the link. We wanted to give you money so I think they bought t-shirts instead because we have that link up there. But you uh, can do mm-hmm. that. We'll have a link to t-shirts and merch as well as where you can just support us and give us money to uh, to keep this this whole show on the road. Yes. you. Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, we, have no, we, we probably do have shout outs to give this week, but we'll just double up on next week. It's been a it's been a, been too big of a week in Irish news. Yes, and we're both we're both doing this midday while well, we should be at work, so we'll have to keep it yes. short. My my boss just walked past me in the in the middle of a recording. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like are you doing your podcast on company hours? It's like it's just an intro, I swear, take it off my lunch break. I don't take lunch breaks. I don't
3: <laughs> the intros are only one or two minutes They take about 40 minutes to record And then we have to whittle it down Yeah, currently
2: at minute 17 So, uh, at, with, with that in mind uh, Let's, you, well, you, should, you should do the intro It's your episode
3: You're dead right Jason, you're dead right this, uh, this week's episode is all about A Dublin-born woman called Violet Gibson And her run-in with Benito Mussolini Gather
0: around now, you're in for story Old tales of lore on search over glory. The history and mystery of lads, lasses and all. The discoveries and voyages, the rise and the fall. Follow me now as we go back in time. We trace the steps of matters
3: Violet Gibson was born in Dublin on the 31st of August 1876. She was the seventh of eight children born to Francis and Edward Gibson. Edward would become the Attorney General of Ireland the year after Violet was born. So she's born into, like, upper-class stock. Uh, Edward was a Tory Lord Chancellor whose 1885 legislation sped up the acquisition of Irish land for tenant farmers. So he he introduced this... A land out that meant it was easier for Irish tenant farmers to buy their own, buy the land they're working on, basically. They became known as the Ashbourne land out because he was the first baron Ashbourne as of 1886, which meant that... uh, Now, that
2: would be Ashbourne for anybody else who's not from Dundalk or a border land Yeah, that's true, yeah. (laughs) Yeah,
3: Yeah, Ashbourne. Um, Water for your horde You're right I would also say Ashburn It's because I got into the mindset of like a fancy Tory man from 1886 He would definitely introduce himself as I'm the Baron Ashburn But yeah it's Ashburn You can't have kids I'm so sorry to hear (laughs) Well he had a lot of them as was the style at the time And so once he became the Baron that meant that young Violet got the title Honourable She became the Honourable Violet Gibson at the age of 10 her dad served as Lord Chancellor of Ireland from 1885 to 1905, which was the highest judicial office in the land until it was abolished in 1922. I don't know what happened around then that meant that they started shaking things up, but that was the end of the job. It just felt like a
2: good time to refresh things.
3: Yeah, yeah. New branding. They grew up at number 12 Marion Square, and the family travelled between London and Dublin, engaging in all the fancy parties that members of the aristocracy could attend. Uh, At 18, the Honourable Violet was a debutante in the court of Queen Victoria. So she's hanging out with Queen Vicky. This, it's actually, I don't know what year that would have been. So this is like near the end of the Victorian era. Victoria would die in around this time. But, you know, she's rubbing shoulders with the big dogs. Uh, She travelled around Europe. I
2: know it's an Irish history podcast, but please be more respectful to the position of Queen.
3: I was talking about the Corgis that I assume were still around at the time. But for some reason, much bigger. Uh, so she was able to travel around Europe. Uh, you know, being the daughter of a well-off law man from the country meant that she could travel around Europe. But unlike her brothers, who were educated in the colleges of Harrow, Trinity, Oxford, Cambridge. Uh, herself and her sisters were like educated at home. They were Her brothers were all sent off to fancy colleges to learn about the world. And herself and her sisters were just basically... You could sit inside... They would have been taught sewing and would have been allowed to read a couple of books but would have been discouraged from reading too many books in case their brains got too big and made them unsuitable for work. Because if they
2: gain too much knowledge, it might throw off their balance and make them fall over.
3: Yeah. If they learn too much, they might be like, wait, hang on a second.
2: (laughs) What's happening? This word um, equality, what does that mean, sir? Uh,
3: That means shut your (laughs) mouth. It means it's time for you to close the books, my dear. Your fingers will get all fat and... (laughs) Unattractive. You don't want them smelling of paper. You know how
2: men hate the smell of papery fingers?
3: (laughs) It's well known. So, Violet's mother, Frances, was a Christian scientist, uh, (laughs) which was a fashionable... Cognitive dissonance is the definition. (laughs) Uh, It was a fashionable new branch of Christianity that was based on the Bible, and the ramblings of Mary Baker Eddy, who argued in her 1875 book called Science and Health, that uh, sickness was an illusion caused by sin and can be corrected by prayer alone. Uh, So, no medicine, you're just supposed to pray the disease away. Okay, well... And you only get the disease, I think, initially because you were uh, living a sinful life. I know,
2: and what you're thinking now is, that's ridiculous that people believe that, but Kevin, people spend money on faith healers and crystals and self-help books and
3: uh, tarot cards, so... (laughs) It it seemed to be that sort of, from what I read about Christian science, it seemed to be like a, a hot new fad amongst the aristocrats at the time. But this is also the same thing that happened in the AIDS epidemic. Is Christian science just the Da Vinci
2: Code? <laughs>
3: or AIDS is indeed. Um No, we should get a Tom Hanks film based on the Christian science book. But, so there's, yeah, so you're not allowed, it discourages medicine, you're supposed to pray a disease away. So unsurprisingly, Violet was a very sick child. Look, it worked Uh, in Africa. She had, yeah. (laughs) So, Violet, well, maybe she would have been a sick child anyway, but certainly the fact that her mother didn't believe in medicine, modern medicine, uh, whatever that meant in in the late 1800s, didn't give her much of a chance. Who needs to live past the age of 35
2: or past their first childbirth? Pointless. Yeah.
3: It is funny to think of people being, like, annoyed at modernity, in 1875 Like everything's just moving too fast The industrial revolution That was a mistake
2: Well actually Kevin
3: Heights. <laughs> yeah maybe Yes <laughs> it actually was very much so <laughs> It probably was It wasn't a good move for the planet anyway uh, So Yeah so she, she had no medicine growing up as a child She had scarlet fever when she was 5 She had uh, peritonitis at 14 Pleurisy at 16 And rubella at 20 the result of all this was that she was fairly frail and bollocksed by the time she was 20. She had resigned to her bed for a lot of her teenage years. Much like yourself. <laughs> um, so Violet started receiving a steady income from her dad when she was about 21, uh, which gave her a level of freedom that not many young women were able to have at the time. She was a bright and inquisitive woman by all accounts, but she was still restricted both by the fact that she was sick all the time and by the ideas of the age about women. Uh, In her own words, she was raised as a little more than an ornament. Because at the time, they thought that they'd aged uh, much like dogs, that they
2: were like, ah, you know, every man year is seven years in a woman year.
3: (laughs) Yeah, women age at a much faster rate. Once they get to 21, they're basically dead. Whereas men are fine up until the age of 90 and well able for marriage. That's what we tell ourselves. Or that's
2: what the men who are in that position tell themselves. <laughs> and the society course, course, just kind yeah. of all goes along with it and go, Ah, well, maybe it's not weird. He's very... He's pretty fun. So maybe he's kind of... He's a bit younger in that
3: sense. It's He's young at heart. Yeah,
2: it's, he is 70. Yeah. He's, she is
3: 18. So there's... Of course. But, you know, kindred spirits. Well, actually, we'll get into that later on in this episode. But, uh, yes. Um... So her her dad was a Unionist and an Imperialist, but her brother Willie was the exact opposite, which her dad didn't like at all. Willie sided with the victims of Imperialism. Uh, She was introduced to the idea of a more compassionate Catholicism by Willie, and she would join him when he was going around trips of the slums of London, pointing out some of the bad sides of living in good old Blighty. Which I guess would have been unusual for people in the aristocracy at the time. Uh, And today. But the British Empire is fantastic. Uh, Let me give you a half an hour walk around London City (laughs) and we'll see then. Do you have two minutes to follow me down this alley? So Violet was into Christian science like her mother for a while, but uh, then converted to Theosophy in her early 20s, which was another 19th century religion created in America by a Russian immigrant this time called Helena Blavatsky. Uh, it seemed like it was a whole mix of other religions and uh, believed in like reincarnation and karma, but also said their members didn't have to believe all the church teachings. They just had to form a nucleus of the universal brotherhood of humanity without distinction of race, creed, sex, caste, or color.
2: Burn them. Burn them yeah, at the stake. So...
3: They're witches. <laughs> this one... The emblem of theosophy is like all the other emblems put together. Wait, hold
2: on. You're out there telling me. Hold on, hold on, hold on. on. Roll this back a second now. You're out there telling me that there's a religion that formed its whole basis off of the concepts of previously formed well-respected, reputed religions. Yeah. Just as a way to gather this entire collective mass of people together under the one umbrella of this new
3: fake story. I don't see. They didn't really have a story. They were just like they—they they had a story, but part of the religion was like you don't have to believe it. Oh, okay. Or there's no, there's no dogma. That's kind of cool. It is. It's sort of like a cool cult. But it's like, yeah, let's get... It's let's, just like, there's no... The second, that you, the second to, that
2: you said that, I was like, oh my God, I run a podcast with someone who could easily join a
3: cult. <laughs> you're like, I'm not going to join a cult, but if it's a cool cult... It's so vague in its beliefs that it's not really a religion. It's just like, we have all these teachings, but you don't have to listen to them. And our basic tenet is be sound to one another. It's like, or you or...
2: You're, you're it, describing it just like Christianity...
3: Yeah, We've got all of these basic
2: teachings You don't really gotta follow them It's it's up to you You don't really have to follow them You don't gotta pay attention to them Really what we want is you to just be part of our flock
3: Yeah sure yeah But uh Yeah their emblem is made up of a load of different emblems From different religions Including the swastika It's right there front and centre Big fan of the laundries Big fan of the laundries Yeah this is before The Dublin swastika laundry Sullied the good image of, of the symbol Uh so she was into the theosophy for a while, but then at the age of 26, Violet pulls the 19th century version of telling your parents you're dropping out of UCD business to go to NCAD. And she converted to Christianity, just oh. like her old brother, Willie. Big blow for the family. Two of their children have converted to Christianity. That, that's not good. That's not a good record for any parents.
2: No, that'd be like in uh, if your children grew up to, to follow Fina Fall.
3: Yes, there you go. So, there was a spit of sorts in the family after, uh, after Violet converted to Catholicism. Uh, she moved to Chelsea in London in 1902 and started living that bohemian lifestyle, Jason. Um, I don't know what that meant back then. She
2: started wearing Doc Martens. She got herself a leather jacket. She started going to games at Stamford yeah. Bridge where she would do monkey chants and throw bananas at opposition black players. She's a real Chelsea starlet.
3: Yeah, I thought you were talking about the the local team in Inchicore is the Bohemians.
2: Uh that that's not Inchicore. Uh, St. Patrick's Athletic are the team in Inchicore. Bohemians are just above the north side up in uh, like uh, close to Glasnevin area. Um the you see Kevin's brain All shattering. Right. <laughs> He's like, is that what? No, what? I thought the... You live there. The no, I thought sense. the bows were from around here. Yeah, St. Pat's are from your, your neck of the woods. Learn a little bit about the League of Ireland, Kev.
3: That makes sense. That's why I keep walking past lots of signs for St. Patrick's and to date I've seen zero reference to Bohemians yeah. on <laughs> that street. But uh, were we talking about this recently, the, how Bohemia became... Like Bohemia is like an old area in Czech Republic or somewhere in that part of the world. Slash Germany. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So apparently it came from like Bohemian lifestyle was associated with the Roma gypsies because I think they they had some pass from the king of Bohemia to say they were citizens of somewhere or another. I don't know. He was king of somewhere and Bohemia. So then they got associated with being Bohemians and then all the french artists of the time took fancy with the idea of being like i'm just a bohemian man i'm just i just travel around under the stars i don't have a home so they co-opted the idea of being a bohemian and it became associated with like the Aloof life of a French artist, and then that in turn was picked up by like Californians in the 60s. Like, we're so bohemian, man.
2: But it's the same thing now. I see people talk about like having bohemian parties. We've talked about it before of like the clientele of the old Bernard Shaw. That's people are looking to live that way, yeah. That they're like, we want to be seen as cool and like, oh, we don't have money, we're poor artists. You're not poor artists, you can afford a hundred drinking in the Bernard Shaw. You know, moisturizing face mask. You know, it's, yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, the, the whole uh, thing makes no sense. No, there's a bunch of people around Dublin that are trying to live like old school liberties. Oh, we're Doc Martins and a shaved head, and, like it was born in a council estate in the '80s. It's not. Your dad, is, well, he works for Deloitte. Yeah, like that's not. You're trying. If you're making the fashion conscious step to look like someone who was a romper stomper in the '80s, you've got too much money. You've grown up in privilege.
3: You're not, like, from the real Liberties, like D.C. Fontaines.
2: Yeah, yeah. Where <laughs> they tr- grew up close enough to You're not true blue,
3: like the boys.
2: <laughs> yeah, I grew up close enough to it where I could uh, look through history books and find out what they used to do. And then decide to look and pay and yeah. look exactly like that. That's from
3: the... the safe distance of Monaghan, Sligo. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think one of them's from fucking... Cavan or, R- or, or something? Or whatever the fuck, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, we the Liberties. Yeah, it's just the kill, man. The fucking kill. Yo, it's like one of them's from Spain. <laughs> like, one of them's not even from Ireland. Listen, <laughs> <is a> man. <laughs> not that he's not. He's an awesome guitarist. I think I've met him before. He's even a nice guy, but he's just yeah. like... It's, it, it's not... That's not it. <laughs> that's not... Yeah. It. Those
3: people who were growing up from the liberties now are <laughs> listening to the Fontaines. Yeah, yeah. But, um... So she's over there living the bo- living that bohemian lifestyle. Well, hey, this actually, yeah. So this is exactly it. Here's she's a woman who's moved over a slum in it in Chelsea uh, when her dad is an extremely well off member of the aristocracy. She'd met the Queen, um, but she but she seems to be happy during this period in her life. She's free, and I know we're kind of slagging her there, but I mean it must have sucked to be any way intelligent or inquisitive or curious. And to have the means to do stuff, but have everyone around you in society be like, stop, stop doing that. Go sit inside. Shut up. Yeah. I suppose, yeah. Must have been a real pain in the balls. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, she's happy enough for this time. And then in 1905, she hits a run of bad luck uh, where there's a few deaths in her family. Her sister-in-law dies suddenly. uh, And then her brother, Harry dies shortly after that. But her bad luck turns around when she meets and falls in love with an artist on the Chelsea scene. They get engaged in nineteen oh eight, Violet's thirty two at the time, and they're they're happily happily in love. She's left the aristocratic life behind now for the most part. She's living that Bohemian lifestyle. She's happy out, Jason. Until her husband Slash fiance dies uh, suddenly within a year. Oh. I don't know if they were married at that stage. It was a year after they got engaged anyway, and he dies, and, which she does not take well. His name isn't recorded anywhere, so uh Husband. Husband, yeah. Which is I actually this is the good a good change for women's history bond. Here we have just we've had many stories in this podcast where it's just like they were married to Mrs. Brennan. No one knows what her name was, no one bothered her what are to What do you say tell. about my mother? <laughs> she's a lovely woman, and she re- deserves to be remembered in history. Uh, so she's she doesn't take this well, Jason. She's uh, her, her her new fiance, her husband's just died. The grief takes over her life, and she leans heavy into Christianity. She goes and heads off to Italy to travel around and see the holy sites. But when she's over there, she ends up getting pretty sick uh, in Milan, and her sister Constance has to come over and take care of her there for a while before she eventually has to return to England. She's, like, in the space of the year after her husband dies, she gets sick very seriously, about six times. Uh, she has a fever, and the doctors, that she goes to see several doctors, and all they can say is that it might be influenza or a nervous disorder called hysteria, which... No, Kevin, she was an influencer.
2: She was living in Chelsea at the time. She was living off of the... Uh... The, the monetary gate of a social media. I don't know.
3: I don't know if you've come across hysteria before. I was a fan of Muse when I was a kid. Of course, great album. Uh, but hysteria is like it was just a diagnosis that was popular in the 19th century. It was basically just a made-up thing that was just only for women. There's another similar one for like wandering womb theory, where they thought your womb would just be hopping around your body. Hysteria comes from the Greek word for uterus. So like hysterectomy is the r- removal of a womb, and it was used a lot for you know, medical professionals didn't want women riding on trains or motor cars because they thought the womb would dislodge and end up in the woman's brain and she might get crazy ideas like uh, suffrage or trying to stop men beating the shit out of her. So hysteria was just this sort of catch-all
2: No, Kevin, they were were able to ride on trains. They just all had to be put in the one cart at the very back. At the very back of the
0: cart, yes. It
2: was for safety. It's much like how when you're getting on a plane, you're meant to get at the very back of the plane. That's what Loss told me. If you're a woman getting on a train, go to the very back, the cart that has no
3: chairs. (laughs) And you just have to stand. Well, listen, if I'm smoking cigars and drinking brandy with the lads, I don't want a load of women coming up and asking me questions. But hysteria was—it's basically just like a catch-all diagnosis for women with notions. The symptoms included shortness of breath, anxiety, insomnia, fainting, amnesia, paralysis... Pain, spasms, convulsive fits, vomiting, deafness, bizarre movements, seizures, hallucinations, and inability to speak.
2: Saying words to you when you've had a drink after a long day of work, coming home and not having the dinner ready on the
3: table. Not wanting to get married immediately and pop out 17 kids. That's hysteria. But also, if I was paralyzed and kept vomiting and had gone deaf suddenly, I'd also be hysterical. Like, I'd want to be taken seriously. (laughs) Ah, It's just, a. I have got amnesia, I keep fainting And I have a convulsive fit Well here's fits.
2: the, Kev, if you kept fainting How would you remember
3: if you had amnesia So she's lying Good point Jason, yeah. very good point Um, So I think you'll like this next part She she moves down to sunny South England She moves down to Devon And takes up residence in Buckfast Abbey
2: Oh you, you, uh, I, yeah. I have not I <laughs>
3: I've got You're like a child. I've got nothing I've got like so much you just found that Santa Claus is yeah. real I'm
2: like a cold I just, I, I just tasted coke For the first time ever <laughs> Like as a child yeah. And I'm not talking cola I'm like I'm
3: just I'm all full of beans It's uh, Now I was I was down around The south of England before And it's in Devon And you can go visit it But they How did Devon feel about that? They
2: really You get tired of visitors After a while
3: they really shy away from, so for everyone uh, outside of this part of the world, Buckfast is like this caffeine-infused tonic wine. I think it's got as much caffeine in it as like nine cans of Coke. And it's true, connected to like anti-social behavior more so in Scotland than here. But it is also seen as like a rough drink here. You drink a bottle of Buckfast, you're likely to do it Or, or it's, you're bohemian. It's class. You're bohemian. It's, it's it actually yeah. It's tied to that sort of stuff as well. I I man, I've got no money. Yeah, I've got no money, man. I've I I, I can't afford to drink.
2: So I'm just, tonight, I'm just gonna have to have a 17 euro bottle of tonic wine.
3: Yeah, it's extremely. It's like, now it's, very expensive. Yeah, yeah, but it's seen as like a man. This is all I could afford. Yeah, man.
2: I had to site. get Bulmers and fucking bulk fast. Yeah, you know, Bookmers Yeah, I just had yeah. to. You know, it's just the only way. It's what I grew up on. Yeah, see, really, you grew up at 25 euro on pre-drinking per night.
3: But they, they don't sell it anywhere near the the Abbey. They don't sell it anywhere in South England. Evenden's trying to buy a bottle, like, around Bristol, and they'd never heard of it. So they really, like, just... <laughs> they bottle Buckfast and then just ship it off to Scotland Ah, and Ireland,
2: like, um... Uh,
3: <laughs> to get everyone fucked over there. Like Tullamore Jew. Yeah, exactly, like Tullamore yeah. Jew. I guess they don't want people complaining. The South England locals would be annoyed if it was their children getting fucked up in Buckfast. But if it's only going over to the paddies and the Scots, if anything... It's a bonus.
2: Yeah, like, we wouldn't touch Tullamore Dew, but if the Americans want to pay through the nose for it,
3: Grant. Then it's Grant.
2: Now, also, I have said in recent uh, podcasts, we're looking for a whiskey sponsor, so uh, Tullamore Dew, yeah. if you'd like to get on board.
3: <laughs> we love you. But, um, just I haven't had a bottle of Buckfast in ages. I, I find that a weird, I bet, I bet my brother Philip all of his socks at Christmas that, uh, Buckfast is mentioned by name In the Muppets Treasure Island film Huh Which it is If you go and watch I didn't bother watching the whole film But you can find the clip of it on YouTube
2: Have you taken all of your brother's socks?
3: Yeah because I thought that was a good wager over Christmas Because it's something like Dumb enough that you're like Yeah alright Don't don't talk about Buckfast in the Muppets film It's like right You give me all of your socks For the rest of the Christmas period When we're both at home Oh I thought you'd been forever Nah, no, to be honest, I didn't even collect on them because what the hell was I going to do with 17 pairs of Wear spots? Wear them all, but a la Joey Grihani Honey
2: in that Thanksgiving episode.
3: Yeah, just do or do that. Another good wager, uh, Lisa was telling me recently that, I don't know if she witnessed a wager or something before, but the, the forfeit was the cutlery rack in your washing machine. So both parties had to bring their cutlery rack to the thing, and then whoever lost handed theirs over, which is... Perfect, because like it's such a stupid thing You'd be like, yeah, alright, fuck it, I'll put my cutlery rack up If you lose that, you can't get that No, thing. you're going to Ikea Yeah, yeah <laughs> you're going to buy a whole new washing machine to get that thing And what are you going to do with your fucking forks? <laughs> Hand wash them? I don't think so <laughs> It's the perfect level of wager Where you wouldn't think about it You'd be like, yeah, alright, fine And then once you lose, you realise how fucked you are after. Yeah,
2: it's stupid enough to be blase enough to take the, the bet on in the first exactly, place But yeah. then it's important enough to really mess you up For like at least one day <laughs>
3: She'd be like, I have to go yeah. spend some money now and, and also give up a yeah. de- your day well, That's or- going to take a full day. <laughs> um, so in 1913, uh, Violet's dad died as well. They were still estranged at this stage because she converted to Catholicism. But she went back to Ireland for the funeral. It was her first time back in the country since 1902. Uh, and then it was 1914, Jason, and time for World War One. Violet was extremely opposed to the war. Uh, she was a vocal pacifist. She'd seen the effects of war on her brother Victor. He'd been captured in South Africa during the Boer War which I think was around about 1901. Yeah, or so. It was actually, is this, oh is that where the Bay of Pigs came from? Yeah they were down there fighting. <laughs> fighting. Yeah you're close yeah this is where, I think I talked about it before but this is where uh, I think his name was Paul Kruger the president of South Africa fought against the British and I'm pretty sure that my dog is named after Paul Kruger. Ah, oh, Kruger, series yeah, of weird yeah. Accidents. Um. So, anyway, he'd been captured during the Boer War and pretty messed up by his experiences there, which Violet had seen firsthand. So she was, she was against the whole thing. Uh, she ran off to Paris and joined a pacifist organization, as well as joining the Women's International Congress, uh, where she worked alongside Sylvia Pankhurst. She worked hard with them for a few months but that same year she was diagnosed with Paget's disease, which is a type of cancer and she had to have a mastectomy but uh, shortly after this she returned to England at the age of 40 where she has further surgery for an appendicitis and peritonitis which I think is the same one she had when she was a kid. Uh, Unfortunately that surgery does not go well and she suffers from chronic abdominal pain for the rest of her life. Oh no! So she's Having a bit of a rough one. She seems to be constantly fairly sick, and a lot of people close to her are dying. And now the whole of Europe is in war, and she's not happy about it. So when she was recovering from the surgery, she becomes a follower of a Jesuit scholar called John O'Fallon Pope. And it was through reading his works that uh, she started to think about the ideas of martyrdom. In a notebook from the time oh, that she... Oh, yeah, sure. Starts seeing some fella called Pope,
2: and all of a sudden she starts thinking, yeah, this martyrdom crack.
3: Maybe it's not so bad. Uh, so she, from a notebook that she kept at the time when she met Pope, uh, she wrote, The degree of holiness depends on the degree of mortification. Mortification means putting to death. What? So she's starting to think about becoming... A martyr, or she started to think about the ideas of martyrdom. She's very sick. There's a war going on. Oh, that's a genius
2: move! Right? I'm dying anyway. Better die a hero.
3: Yeah, that's kind. Of, I think that's what she's like. Right, I'm obviously going to die. I kind of want to go out. Yeah, go to whereas
2: back. the opposite happened here recently, a few weeks ago in Austin, that there was a uh, it was an old, maybe retired or close to be retired doctor who'd moved from California to uh, to to Austin. And he had found out that he had, had like a terminal illness, maybe cancer or something. He was only had like a month or two to mm-hmm. live. So he went into a pediatrician's office and said, hey, I want to volunteer for the last couple of weeks. of. He probably didn't tell them the last few weeks of his life, but I want to volunteer. Yeah, and sure. they were like, no, you're a really old person. So you couldn't be a frontline worker. We're in the midst of a giant pandemic. So you, thank you, but no. So he came back a week later and, uh, and uh, held in hostage and then shot the pediatrician. Jesus.
3: Christ. and then himself <laughs> so he we really went the other way with that yeah I want to do good in this world or you know what I just want to be removed. Yeah.
2: It, can I help people no it's not really safe for you to help people okay well if it's not safe then I'll just kill everyone yeah not safe
3: is it I'll show you not safe so kind of similar she starts to get yeah she's sick she starts to get into the ideas of maybe martyrdom uh, in 1919 Benito Mussolini was making shapes in her beloved Italy with his black shirt organisation cracking down on worker strikes.
2: I'm going to say she wouldn't be a fan.
3: No. um, She's living back in Kensington in London on her own at this stage. But she starts to take an interest in Benito and Mussolini's rise in Italy. In 1922 her favourite sibling Victor died suddenly. And this sends her over the edge. Uh, a month after his death at the age of 46. She attacked her housekeeper's daughter. Uh, she may have thought that she was an intruder. But she... Like stabbed her with a knife. Although I read another account that she was walking back and forth across the same road over and over again and the daughter tried to help her back to the house and she Uh, attacked her and stabbed her. Yeah, that sounds more likely. So she's a full mental break then at this stage and ends up being committed to a mental institution. Ouch. So, from the asylum she follows the news of uh, post-war Europe and especially that of Italy. She kind of has this idea uh, that apparently a lot of people had at the time of Italy being this country of you know the renaissance and the paragon of truth and beauty and if italy succumbs to fascism then it's the end of the world sort of stuff so she spends uh, her time in a, in a sane asylum reading up about old mussolini and after two years in the asylum violet was released and decides to travel to italy herself with a, a nurse from meath called mary mcgrath so the two of them travel to rome and uh, they stay in a convent in the city Mary was unaware that Violet had a gun with her uh, that she brought from England. She or she may have bought it there um, because they talk about the fact that she went on many jaunts to Trastevere, which was described as being a really dodgy area of Rome. Uh, I thought you were going to say,
2: which was a place that didn't exist apart from her own mind.
3: Yeah, (laughs) that's what she called it when she walked over to the corner of the room and stared into it. But uh, So she may have picked up a gun there when she was uh, consorting with the locals. She became attached to a group of Catholic people who were also opposed to Mussolini. On the 30th of May in 1924, Giacomo Matteotti, the leader of the opposition in Italy, uh, who was the leader of the Socialist Party, he openly spoke in the Italian Parliament, alleging that the fascists had uh, committed fraud in the recently held elections. So, in What does that remind you of? Yeah, it does sound topical, but uh, a bit a month after that accusation, Mussolini had him abducted, sexually assaulted, murdered brutally, and then left out for the people to find. Jesus Christ! Hey, they went into a lot. Of, apparently, this was like a big moment in Italian culture because he full on like had him whacked to send a message. But that, I imagine it wouldn't be the first
2: time in Italian history that that happened. But uh, the <laughs> um. Did, do, you, do you think he gave the order for them to sexually assault them or was that just the like the guards taking it upon themselves? Yeah,
3: taking liberties. Yeah, I don't know. It seemed like they were... To, like, this wasn't a sort of... This wasn't a Putin-style make him disappear, but tie us to it just enough so that people know we did it, but don't go overboard. This, this is, is like... A, like do a, it and then drop the body into town square, kind of. Yeah. yeah. This is like, uh, what, season one of The Wire, getting Omar's boyfriend and leaving him... In the low rises for all uh, the yeah. hoppers to see.
2: I was gonna say, what does snot boogie have to do with this?
0: Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durban Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off Play for free at luckylandslots.com Daily bonuses are waiting No purchase necessary, void were prohibited by law 18 plus, terms and conditions apply See website for details
3: So on on the 27th of February 1925 Violet went to her room in the convent Where she'd created an altar And shot herself in the chest with the gun
2: That is
3: uh, The bullet missed her heart And went up through her ribcage And ended up lodged in her shoulder like, you literally couldn't
2: be closer. You have the utmost amount of yeah. time to get it right. Aim for the
3: head. Put it to your head. She wanted to shoot herself in the heart. I don't know. So this is so this is where her ideas are like martyrdom. She,
2: she wasn't afforded access to that book during her schooling. So she
3: had yeah. missed by quite a distance. <laughs> she had shot through the right side of her chest. They didn't teach her anything about anatomy. Uh, but, so yeah, so she sees Italy going down a dark path. Somehow she gets it into her head that her death, she was trying to sacrifice her life in order to help Italy against fascism. I don't know. She wants to make herself, she wants to become a martyr for Italy, but I'm not entirely sure what she thinks shooting herself is going to accomplish. It turns out nothing. Turns out nothing, though. So the nuns freak out. Miriam Mirai freaking out. She didn't know that she brought a gun over with her, or that she had a gun, I guess. So her family tries to get her back to England, and she refuses because they figure they'll try and lock her up in an asylum again, which is probably accurate. So she goes to a private clinic in Rome, uh, where Mary McGrath visits her every day. She was released after two months, and moved into another convent with Mary. Uh, She spends her time sitting inside doing jigsaws. As she's going through her recovery process, she figures the way to beat Mussolini is probably not to kill herself, but to do something more constructive.
2: (gasps) Set up a war which will split the nation's... uh attributes. You go straight to Ethiopia. You go, she moves to (laughs) Ethiopia. She starts up a ground war.
3: Yeah. Start off World War II and then distract Italy. Get them lured into a lengthy battle in Africa. Uh, So the guys who like killed uh, Matadoti, like the the opposition guy who Mussolini had murdered. There's a sort of sham trial on to prosecute them. So she starts showing up in the court to see To see the process of the trials and she's, uh, people see her there taking notes. She's uh, getting a look at what it means to go up against Mussolini. Sure, what could you do to me that I haven't already done to myself? Oh, we could actually follow through, we'd kill you. There's a second one, won't miss. So a year, a year after her suicide attempt, she's recovered well enough at this stage. And then in March, her mother dies suddenly. There's not enough time for her to go back to the funeral. So I think she's probably estranged from her mother as well. She hadn't seen her in years. Uh, So now both her parents are dead, many siblings dead. Just another death uh, to the family. So it was around about this time that Violet fires Mary McGrath. Mary doesn't know why she's fired her, but she sends her back to Ireland. On Wednesday the 7th of April 1926, about a month after her mother had died, Violet finished her breakfast after an early morning mass in the convent, and she sets off into the streets of Rome. The frail 50-year-old woman was heading off on a mission, with a rock in her bag, another handgun in her pocket, and the address of the Fascist Party headquarters written on an envelope. <laughs> Meanwhile, <laughs> in another part of the city I love this woman. Benito Mussolini had just finished up giving a speech to the International Congress of Surgeons about the wonders of modern medicine, and he was walking on his merry way back through the streets. He was basking in the love of the people, and they were all shouting Viva El Duce. Which, I don't think we mentioned that yet, actually. His, yeah, his nickname was Il Douche, which I think means the head. But it's not a great nickname.
2: It's not, but it's also one that no one in Italy would probably ever call it that. And it's only a term in Ireland that we have because of American
3: TV. That's true, yeah. But
2: like, you know, that guy's such a douche. Oh, is that the thing that we've never had access to in Ireland and never used as part of our like, culture? Is that,
3: yeah. Uh, so, uh, so on our way, on our way to the fascist headquarters, Violet stumbles across the procession. And while Mussolini was standing in the Piazza del Campo de Gaullo, listening to the cheers of the people, Violet pulled out her Model 1892 revolver and shot Mussolini point blank. Didn't kill him, though. No, she did. This is for <laughs> World War II, but she doesn't shoot him. Because, yeah, I was like, this is not from all I know, but she misses. She misses. She missed, Well, she hits, so she cuts him across the nose. There's a lot of... In pretty much all the reports I read about this, they talk about how... Mussolini t- you know turned his head Just at the last moment to Answer a question or was called away or something Who knows I feel like people like to add That little bit of drama to be like if he just If that one thing hadn't happened Everything would have changed yeah. But basically she like skims him across the front Of his nose cuts the skin She cut She cut the face off him He's standing there shocked uh, She tries to fire again but the gun misfired Or there's other accounts saying that she did get a second Shot off but missed that as well But either way Before there's a third attempt The crowd jumps on her They just beat the shit Out of this 50 year old woman And they were going to Publicly lynch her There and then Before the police intervene And like take her away Uh, Mussolini insists That he's fine Then he tells the crowd Don't be afraid This is a mere trifle Presumably he says that In Italian But I don't know He bandages up his nose And he he continues on His parade Wow
2: That is like
3: Do you think Kennedy Would have done the same? Yeah (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Maybe so. We'll talk about Kennedy a bit later on because I wrote a lot of this episode after watching Oliver uh, Stone's JFK film. Stone. Yeah, and we'll get into it later on. But yeah, (laughs) there's a lot of comparisons between Mussolini and JFK. So Gibson said, like when she was attacked by by the people around her, she said, The people sat on me, pulled out my hair and rained blows on me. The bravery of the police saved my life but I just shut my eyes and let it happen. She's, at this stage, like, she's committed to being a martyr. I'll shoot Mussolini, and then it'll be grand. Uh, When she was interrogated by the police, Violet said that she'd been directed to kill Mussolini for God's glory, and that uh, he had sent an angel to keep her arms steady as she took aim. Obviously not very well, then.
2: No, it doesn't sound very... It's the same as any time, like, a fighter will reference oh it's all thanks to God We're like, but the other person believes in God as well and they lost so I don't know yeah.
3: what's <laughs> I believe in the more though so messages start streaming in from Mussolini he gets a message from King George of England uh, and the President of America at the time asking if he's okay uh, the King of England had just awarded Mussolini the Order of the Bath. They all thought he was hot shit at the time.
2: They were like, "You got to use this as a as a propaganda piece. You really got to
3: Mussolini into it." Well, that's that's what he ended up doing. But well, actually, no, that's the, kind of the opposite. But um, President Cosgrove of Ireland wrote a letter to Mussolini, which was published in the Irish Times, wishing him all the best. Uh, most people at the time thought Mussolini was a cool dude. There's, I found a quote from James the Duke Coburn, who was a Dundalk politician. Uh, I think he said this in 1937, which was like, even at this day, like, so Mussolini had murdered his opposition. He's been involved in, like, lots of violent crackdowns. People knew what he was about, but everyone liked him. What does that Duke remind er- you said, of? Yeah. <laughs>
2: You keep saying these things right Could you believe at a time This is what he was doing
3: Someone said to me really recently like in the last few weeks Someone was like did you know that like Donald Trump has all these sexual assault allegations Against him all this stuff's coming out now And apparently like he raped his wife and stuff I was like that's that was public knowledge before he ran for president. It's been like... Yeah, it's all coming out now. It's No, it's not. It's, it's mad. Like all this stuff. How did he get away with it? How did he keep all these assault allegations quiet when he was president? That's the power of the presidency I suppose. <laughs> he gets it all hush. <laughs> um, so the Duker said If I had a choice between Mussolini as a leader as president of the Irish Free State if I had to make that choice between him and the man representing Labour that... Representative of sloppy sentimentalism in the form of a cheap sloppy democracy, I will vote a thousand times for Mussolini. I am a trade unionist and a working man, and I know that under a man like Mussolini, you will have protection and law and order, and nothing will be taken by the waster from the thrifty section of the community. Now, I'm assuming when he said the thrifty section of the community, that was... Some a code of reference to some race of the time. I, I, I assume. Was. I was going to say, yeah, it, sa- it certainly sounds like it. Yeah. And also Mussolini had been like cracking down on unions and worker strikes for years. And here's some man in the dog being like, I love it. Well, I'd vote for Mussolini a thousand times, which is exactly how a democracy works. I think so. Uh, no,
2: you can vote a yeah, thousand votes as one person. You just have to stuff the ballot box. And that's how real democracy
3: works. And we talked before about... Like one of the founding members of Fine Gael, Owen O'Duffy, and his big speech about how Mussolini had the right idea with the black shirts. And that we should start doing that stuff here. Even even young Hitler was a fan. And that man has impeccable taste.
2: Young Hitler. Um, you, that was called Hitler Youth. Yeah. You made it sound like a spin-off. <laughs> yeah, like young a spin-off Hitler. Of a, of a popular like, a Nazi <laughs> sitcom. Yeah. <laughs> You know, as Hitler, he's just living down in the rural town of Austria, and no one can quite understand his artistic endeavors. Oh, Hitler!
3: He's a struggling art student with a chip on his shoulder. Young Hitler! <laughs> I don't know. So he, he's getting letters in from all around the world, uh, checking is he alright? Lots of UOK Hun style messages. He also gets a letter from a 14 year old bourgeoisie Roman girl who had pictures of Mussolini on her school books and wrote, What? What ignomy? What cowardice? What opprobrium? But then, she is a foreigner, and that explains everything. (laughs) She wrote that about uh, Gibson. There's a lot of big words in there for a 14-year-old. Opprobrium? Ignomy? Foreigner? She was uh, maybe like like a 20th century Greta Thunberg. (laughs) Maybe, yeah, but this is... This is uh, Clara Patassi, uh, who was 14 at the time. She would go on to become Mussolini's mistress uh, a few years later, despite the 28-year age gap. That doesn't surprise me, to be honest.
2: No. As soon as I hear the term mistress, I'm like, okay, well, giant age gap? Is it a giant age gap? Surely.
3: But this is, it's a cute meat story they met when she was 14 and wrote a letter to him.
2: You're thinking of meat cute, not cute meat story.
3: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, this is a meat cute uh, when she was 14 and wrote a letter to him after she w- he was shot by Violet Gibson to see if he was okay. And this struck up a friendship, you know. it's a... he, st- he sounds like, I don't know, like any successful comedian. <laughs> or any uh, successful Italian politician. Or any successful person at all. <laughs> yeah, pretty much any successful musician, <laughs> um, rock star. Politician, um, yeah. yeah, hedge fund uh, manager. Up until about six months ago. <laughs> Um, So the Gibson family, whoever of them were left They wanted to mitigate the damage this would do for their name And the English government wanted to mitigate the damage it would do for Italian-English relations So they wrote letters to the Italian government apologising unreservedly for Violet's actions And congratulating Mussolini on his uh, escape from death The Italian police opened an investigation into the shooting Led by Chief Inspector Panetta he was convinced that she had accomplices, mostly because they couldn't believe that a woman had shot Ildus. Uh, women love Ildus, especially foreign women.
2: In fairness, they would have a more experience with douches.
3: Yeah. Uh, well, this is where they get into the JFK stuff. There's a lot of they don't believe the lone gunman theory. They don't believe that it was just some one woman acting alone.
2: Well, now in this case, I could, you can see why. Yeah, it's, it doesn't like it
3: doesn't really it's the make same sense as
2: with JFK that it's like well it just doesn't make sense for this many people to have it out for this one guy and for yeah. it to be an untrained, like, un- relatively unskilled person with the gun who pulls it off like the well I say it was the JFK, it but she doesn't yeah, she pull does it off. so it makes sense
3: then that yeah. her, no why white... and in JFK he was like a soldier yeah but he wasn't very good <laughs> yeah obviously he could only make that shot. Three times. Second time. But, um, you got it. The
2: second time, Kev.
3: Yeah, uh, the first time was uh, Mr. Grassy Noble. I've
2: been there. I've got photos of the whole thing. I should share that on the Instagram.
3: Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> also, I'm laughing and smiling way too much. <laughs> like, I went on <laughs> in a the cons- photos. I went on a conspiracy theory slash dark tourism trip of Texas and did in the same day the JFK tour and on the way back to Austin I did wake up <laughs> with the Branch Davidians. <laughs>
3: A great, great one too.
2: You cannot find a photo of me and my brother at, on the whole trip where we're not just like smiling, thumbs up. I'm behind the grassy knoll, going, oh, oh, "Oh, we're waiting, waiting for uh, waiting for the red lights for the traffic to stop, so I could run out onto the street and get a photo with the ex." I mean, I like, think, yeah, and then point up towards the book conservatory was and go, there too? "Not a chance." She was. She's was from Texas. Yeah, and all of my exes live in Texas. Guys. That's why yeah. I hang my hat in Tennessee.
3: Oh my exes live in Texas oh, All my hat exes in Tennessee? live
2: in Texas
3: That's why I hang my hat in Tennessee hey. uh, So and so she's under investigation They're not buying the lone gunman theory uh, Panette talked to the mother superior of the convent that Violet was staying at And she said that Violet had told her that she was on an important mission uh, With four others and that the destiny of many tortured souls depended on her. They were all, like, fairly shocked that Violet could do this, like she was just a frail old woman who'd been living in the convent for the past year. She had tried to kill herself, I suppose, but... When Panette interrogated Violet herself, and said that she was accused of shooting Mussolini, initially she said, Who? Mussolini? What? Me. You're telling me that Violet tried to say that she was a patsy? (laughs) Her last words were, I'm a patsy. Uh, so he comes back day after day looking for her accomplices or even like they don't know what her motivation is Violet starts spinning wild tales she says that she was on a mission from God and that all of the dead were her accomplices
2: what a grass
3: <laughs> well, she also, <laughs> what a rat she sort of rats on like at some point she says that she committed the murder to impress an Italian duke named Giovanni Colonna who she'd fallen in love with and she'd done it for him uh, so she only sort of implicates him in it, but she's telling all these different stories. And in a letter that she wrote to her friend at the time, she said, Good God knew what he was doing when he gave me an Irish tongue to get me out of tight places. I cannot now understand how anyone minds losing their reputation. To me, it is a sheer joy, and I take mysterious joy in piling it on. The reputation is getting blacker and blacker every day. It's like putting on a new dress, and I thoroughly enjoy it. <gasps> So she's just been an absolute shite to them. (laughs) She's,
2: I, in love.
3: Yeah, she's, it's hard to tell how sane she is at any point in this story, but she seems to have like. I don't care, she's my match made in heaven. Yeah, she tried to shoot Mussolini and then straight away was like, what? Mussolini? The fella from the television. Who? I suppose it wouldn't have been television. (laughs) The fella on the front of the Mr. Muscles kitchen cleaner the
2: fella on the front of
3: the paper with the words on it that the men do read no no no, no. never no. heard of him no I did it for God no I did it for this other fellow. but uh so she's having she's having fun with it you know I mean she's on trial for trying to assassinate the leader of a country like, that's why I think Oswald he probably saw Jack Ruby with the gun and he was like okay this is it what's great last words to go out on I'm a patsy yeah. doesn't get any better than that <laughs> you've got people chatting about it for what 60 years afterwards it's, it's such a great like final troll just to be like it was a setup <laughs> i'm a stooge but <laughs> well, so i don't think the timeline actually works like that i think it's a way
2: that uh because i don't think he says it directly as he gets shot no, no but that's how no. everyone interprets it and wants to remember it because that's way funnier Yes.
3: <laughs> he does say it when he's in As 20, he's
2: leaving, yeah. as he's coming out the door, but then it's like probably an extra yeah, like fifteen, yeah. twenty seconds later or something that yeah, sure. there's a whole kerfuffle and then he gets shot.
3: Yeah. I'm a Patsy. <laughs> uh so in the lead up to the trial it was unclear whether Violet would be treated as a regular political prisoner or whether her lawyers would try and get her declared insane. Or was she an irregular? Uh she was fairly lucid and rational while remanded in prison. Uh, There was only there was one incident where someone like slid a piece of paper to her saying Viva Mussolini and she lashes out at them and hits them with a hammer. I don't know why she had access to the last person person you'd be given a hammer to. Yeah. Uh, But the lawyers kind of use this uh, incident to sort of press that she is insane because her family back home and the British government are pushing hard for an insanity plea. They kind of want to sweep this under the rug, Why, I guess. Whatever
2: would lead them to believe that.
3: Yeah, I don't know. All the all the conversations about God. I don't, I don't know if she's trying to get the insanity plea as well. I don't think she really cares at this point.
2: Well, it sounds like she's just having good fun with it. So she's like, well, yeah. if I try to defend myself regularly, I'm going to jail and I'm going to die. Yeah. Uh, if I decide to go by the insanity route, I get to have even more fun for a couple of weeks.
3: <laughs> just better crack. Um... So, so they're pushing for the insanity plea. The lawyers get a full medical exam on Violet. And uh, as part of that, she's subjected to 20 days of psychiatric exams. And finally, after four months, a 61-page report declares Gibson has chronic paranoia and recommended she be committed to a lunatic asylum. Uh, she wasn't allowed to attend her own trial because the lawyers thought that it'd be easier to sell the fact that she was insane if she wasn't there. I thought it would be easier to settle the fact if she was. Yeah, I don't know. I guess if they're painting the picture of this mad Irish mystic woman and she's sitting over there being like, how, how are you getting on? She's just
2: praying. She's just praying going, I yeah. don't know what we talking about. Just don't give her a hammer. Judge, hold that gavel. Yeah. Why? She's saying she's fine. <laughs> she's saying, no, God, fucking happened
3: again. Smacks the judge uh, shouting, I'm a patsy. I'm a patsy. <laughs> um, So the jury finds her insane. And 13 months after the shooting, mostly due to intervention from the British Foreign Office, the Italian government comes to a deal. And on the 12th of May, Violet was set to be released into the custody of her sister Constance without any charge by Mussolini. Result? Yeah, pretty much. I don't, I, don't, I think they're trying to, they realize the fact that the British government keeps asking about her. And they're like, well, they'll owe us a favor. So we'll just declare her insane and then release her into like house, house
2: arrest. arrest. Yeah. Or maybe yeah, there But different. house arrest we'll...
3: With her sister
2: Okay Well you know Depending on the family Kev that could be More of a prison
3: Yeah sure Yeah, yeah. But she's pretty much Just let go uh, She travels back home As a free woman With her sister They set off to The train station in Rome And they travel across France by train And then back to England uh, When she gets back Into Victoria Station In London a few days later She's looking forward To seeing the old Family home again It had been a long Old time since She'd been back But uh, instead of heading back to the home she was instead brought straight to an asylum where she was quickly reviewed and declared insane. <laughs> she'd been tricked her jailers and her lawyers tricked her into thinking she was being set free, but she'd been surrounded by undercover police the whole way on along the journey at least I think the whole way to the train station in Rome, and I think they followed her back to England and like her family was in on it, the whole part of the deal was that she was going to end up in an insane asylum in england
2: well
1: it
3: it did they just not yeah, so they just didn't tell her.
2: But it's probably, it's it's pretty obvious, though, that they're like, hey, we're going, to, yeah. we're going to file for, you're not going to have to go to jail or the death penalty because you're insane. And she's like, okay, cool, so I'm going to get sent home. Yeah, and I get to live my normal life again. You know, yeah, as yeah. an insane person, left out to the devices yeah. of doing whatever they wish to the public.
3: You just tried to assassinate the leader of our country. But you know what? Listen, you're mad. So away on home with you. Don't do it again. So, yeah, you're, and. It's it's sickening. Like she was, it was a several day journey. At any point, she could have just walked off. That yeah, and she would have been free. If they had
2: have, but she would have been found very soon afterwards. Probably but assaulting she, someone with a hammer.
3: Yeah, maybe so. But like she wouldn't have been you know, they wouldn't have been looking for her. Like, say she just walked off in Paris. She was a free woman. Well, yeah, they would have like, had there to, wasn't yeah, an to arrest go from Italy her. To
2: back to England that they have had to travel through
3: a fair few countries. So, yeah, she had yeah. A-
2: ample time. And also, they could have been like, I'm sorry, she escaped. You know what she's like. Yes,
3: the family could have let her go, but... Anyway she's, she's tricked, you say, uh, like You tricked. say
2: let her go Like it's kind of like like The family yeah, dog Is eating a sheep And you're like Well I don't have it in me To put it down So let's drive out To the countryside Let's go to
3: a forest yeah.
2: Let's do- go You're better off alone. No we don't they want you anymore
3: yeah, like Throwing stones at her On the train <laughs> Get out of here Get out of here Violet We don't love you no more Um. So after After a diagnosis in London She's whisked off To St. Andrews Hospital a mental asylum in Northampton. And Violet's family write a letter to Mussolini to thank him for his kindness. Ah, they're trying to carry
2: on her her eventual aim.
3: Kill him. Yeah. Kill him with kindness. Yeah, it's a different tactic, this time, Yeah. Um so she's yeah, so this was her like attempt at martyrdom, I guess. She wanted to kill Mussolini. uh so there's a woman she was friends with called Enid Enid Dinnes, who is I think a famous British author. But uh, she was good friends with Violet. And she would said that after Violet, she said that after she was released from the asylum back in 1924, she talked an awful lot about the morality of killing and the nature of martyrdom. And based on her correspondence at the time, Dennis suspected that Gibson was going to travel to Rome to kill Pope Pius XI. So she turned out to be wrong on that one, I guess. But it seems like. For at least a while, Gibson was going to try and kill the Pope.
2: I wouldn't have much confidence in her, to be honest.
3: No. not sure. So apparently when like, she... I'm like...
2: very sure she would try to kill the Pope. I'm very, very confident that she yeah. would try to kill the Pope.
3: So she she apparently asked for an audience with the Pope. And it was denied for some reason. I don't know on what ground she yeah, I, to I want a,
2: I want a private audience with the Pope. Yeah. I wanted an Italian restaurant. Sorry, I just gotta I gotta go to the bathroom here for a second. What's that? Clink 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 clink. What are you doing with the with the your the sister? No, I'm just it's sorry, it's bad. the sister in
3: chapel sisters. The,
2: the sister in chapel.
3: Yeah. <laughs> uh uh so that's pretty much that's pretty much the, the end of violence part of the story. Uh so she's kind of like written out of history books for the most part because at the time all the parties involved wanted to keep this hush like the Irish government didn't want to be like you know actually uh, she's she's one of her own that went over there and tried to shoot Mussolini. The British government wanted to keep it hush. Mussolini was you know the master of propaganda. He didn't really want to be like this old Irish woman almost blew my head off. Keep it hush Keep that in the hush hush,alini. Um, So she kind of gets lost in the history and I've noticed so I heard about this story through, uh, there's a really great Lisa O'Neill song about it, about Violet Gibson. Okay, shout out. And it it's great. But, so she's sort of come up as this quasi-feminist figure. There's a lot of documentary, or a few documentaries about her now, and they're talking about how she was going to kill Mussolini, who was a very bad man, and then went on to be an even worse man. But I think a lot of them skirt around the fact that, like, she was, she was going to also try and kill the Pope. Like, she wasn't... She hey, knew Mussolini yeah, was a bad man, made, and she was trying to kill him for political she reasons. Sinead O'Connor is was... a
2: feminist figure, and she would have happily killed the Pope too.
3: Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, but I don't know how. I don't know how much of a she wasn't like a righteous time traveling. Yeah, but why is your idea she was of there like, to assassinate? Was like, you know,
2: they tried to paint her out as this feminist, but she actually had some pretty untoward things to say about the Catholic Church. Yeah. You yeah, know, they're they're a long storied history with the feminist movement. <laughs> yeah. And the suffragettes.
3: Yeah, you're right. Okay, she she is. She's a she's a <laughs> she's a hashtag boss lady and she should have murdered Mussolini. Yeah, she should have.
2: Um Yeah. Would have been a cooler story, but it's a pretty awesome story anyway. That's that's it
3: that's, is a mad story that like yeah, she's they an Irish woman, the daughter of the an Attorney General of Ireland, went over and shot Mussolini in the face. And but for like a couple of inches one way or the other would have killed her.
2: Christ. And also I feel like this is one of those stories that we probably could have done four or five episodes on her.
3: No, because there's not an awful lot about her.
2: Uh, okay, because I was going to say if there was enough reports about you could go back to her like music days or whatever, Bohemian days, like living in like uh, in Chelsea and like in London. Yeah. That's a whole thing. But nah, she's, just, she, she's mainly is. known for trying to kill Mussolini and fail
3: Pretty much, like even because even like yeah, she's married to that guy for a year, and his name's not recorded
2: anywhere. Oh yeah, well then that's yeah, no, yeah. you've
3: done a you've done a good job. Well, there's still there's still a little bit to go because it was um I thought so initially when I read the story I thought that she was the only one to try and shoot Mussolini But that she was the first person, but uh the year before Violet in November of 1925, a man called Zanaboni was arrested with a rifle and scope. Pointed at like where Mussolini was going to be, so it was she was the first person to shoot him. Oh, he sounds like he the got, first person to try. He and kill got
2: him. a rough end of the of the deal. That's a, a raw deal for him. Right? Yeah,
3: yeah, he didn't even get to pull. Yeah, it was circle. like,
2: oh wait, I had the gun pointed to where he was going to be.
3: Yeah, it was just a coincidence, <laughs> a happenstance. Um, and there so on September eleventh, nineteen twenty six, uh, five months after Violet's assassination attempt. An Italian anarchist and anti-fascist called Gino Lucchetti threw a bomb at Mussolini while he was driving by in his uh, in his Lancia, but it bounced off the car and exploded nearby. Uh, the police in, in his Subaru Lancia. It was his Lancia. He has a name for it that I thought I'd written down, but he's got like a famous car that he drove around, in. I think it's called the Dulce or something. Um. So, but so, yeah, so this guy tries to kill him five months later with a bomb. And he's sentenced to 30 years in prison. And he he dies in 1943 in an air raid when the prison shelled. So he's probably sentenced while, like, Violet's trial is ongoing. Mm, But if he's Italian... But she's sent back. Yeah, he can't be sent really
2: anywhere. But also, depending on... Like, I would, if I was the leader of a country, uh, any assassination attempts on my life, I would give everyone like the caveat like, the leeway of uh, ins- insanity for sure because I'm the leader of the country I'm doing such a good
3: job if you want to kill me yeah. you must be mad that was probably part of the reasoning for Violet as well because she was a woman and she must be mad all women love me I'm ill doots yeah. Yeah, so she she doesn't understand what she's doing she's hysterical yeah, sit her down here let me let me let
2: her explain her. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, let, me that let me put my leg up on the table let me put my leg up on the chair beside where she is and tell her that <laughs> Let me, let me tell you a little something of a fact. Listen here, honey.
3: <laughs> Send this man to prison for 30 years where Violet Gibson said, yeah, run on home there, darling. Uh, don't trouble me anymore. So a, mo- a month after that uh, assassination attempt in October, a 15-year-old kid called Antio Zamboni, he tried to shoot uh, Mussolini in Bologna. He was a big fan of cleaning and ice. Yeah, the other guy was also called Zamboni. It was Zambonia, but uh, he was, he tried to shoot Mussolini and he was lynched by the mob there and then. So it was the third assassination attempt in nine months, or the fourth in, in the space of just over a year, and it was used to massively ramp up Mussolini's dictatorship. He brought in sweeping legal changes under the guise of laws for the defense of the state, which dissolved any anti-fascist parties or organizations in Italy, effectively making a, a one-party state, crack down on anti-fascist newspapers. Led to the formation of Mussolini's secret police, the OVRA, introduced a new court for dealing with enemies of the state, and brought back the death penalty, which is a nice little like, one two maneuver. Set up a special court for trialing your enemies without a jury and bring the death penalty in the same day. Well, failing one, you've got the other.
2: Yeah. It was like, when we we're going to try and trial this guy. He seems he tried to kill me. I'm gonna put this guy up on trial, and if he's found guilty, death and if he's found innocent he's gone to the trial where he doesn't have
3: a fucking say. But get rid of the yeah. jury, try it again uh, so and this ties back into JFK as well so there's four attempted assassinations on him. Zamboni's is by far the, by far the most written about him because he gets killed so there's there's loads of speculation about who was he? Was he acting alone? So the rest of them are pretty much like lone gunmen or they find there's like two or three people around them or whatever uh, but because this guy's killed, and because he's 15, I guess, there's, like, loads of conspiracy theories about who he was and what he was up to. I think it was Violet Gibson again. <laughs> I think she, she was in an the And she'd him. go at it again. Oh, she'd go at it again. So so that assassination, that happens in the same year that Violet tried to kill him. Fascism goes flying in Italy. They, they love it. Can't get enough of this stuff. In May of 1939, Mussolini signs the Pact of Steel with Hitler and aligned Italy with Germany and the other Axis powers at the outbreak of World War II. In, 19, in 1943, the Allied forces had pushed the Italians out of northern Africa, and they invaded southern Italy with the uh, with the help of the Italian king. Mussolini was deposed from power and arrested, but while the new Italian government were in talks with the Allies, the German forces invaded northern Italy, broke Mussolini out of prison, and then installed him as like a puppet dictator in the north of Italy. Which is renamed as the Italian Social Republic. So it's similar to like Vichy France, uh with Mussolini in charge but like not really having any power. A puppet a puppet dictator sounds like a great way for
2: like Sesame Street or the Muppets to teach uh children about to extol them the
3: virtues of capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> uh so between, between the Allied forces and the Italian partisan resistance movements, the ORSI was defeated in April of 1945 in the last days of World War II. Mussolini and his mistress Clara Patassi, who was the 14 year old child from earlier in the story, and a load of RSI ministers, they're all captured by the Italian partisans on the 27th of April uh, when they're trying to flee Italy. They were executed the next day and their bodies are strung up in a Plaza in Milan uh, where they're attacked by. Angry, like people, people went the town of them. Uh, the bodies are like strung up there for days, and people are attacking them with hammers and such. So, 19 years after Violet was almost lynched for shooting at Mussolini, he himself is strung up and attacked by an angry mob. Um, there's also a lot of conspiracy theories about who killed him, which I didn't realize. And again, I wrote a lot of this after watching the JFK film. So, you, uh, thought, it was, you thought it was the mob.
2: They weren't happy with how they were running it the country. was Jack Ruby. Oh, I thought you said it was going to be the Italian Mafia. Weren't happy with how he was running uh, the country. of course.
3: Yes. Well, yeah, apparently they refer to it as like the Italian JFK assassination. Because I thought it was pretty... The Italian JFK, JFK the assassination
2: is the JFK assassination. Of course, yes, yeah.
3: But I, I thought it was pretty... Like, the Italian partisan movement has him captured. And then a day later, they execute him. But for some reason, there's lots of conspiracies about who actually did it. Uh... Again, I think it was Violet. Very possible. Pulling the strings from their, from her asylum. Just like Arkham Asylum. Well, was called to, or uh,
2: Jared Butler in Law Abiding Citizen.
3: Yes, exactly. She wanted to be in the asylum. They'll um, never suspect me. So back to, yeah, back to Violet in her asylum. Uh, after he gets executed, she starts writing letters to Winston Churchill and to Queen Elizabeth, who she would have met when she was a kid. Would he have been? Would Basically, he have been
2: related to the dog that does insurance?
3: Yeah, that was his dad. Uh, so she would have met Queen Elizabeth when she was a kid or like not even a kid when she was like 18 she would have met her and she's just you can like read her letters and she's basically like please let me out now can I go now I've been in prison for 20 years for trying to kill a man that y'all killed but I'd say from the outset of World War 2 she sent the letters being like can we all agree now that Mussolini is not a sound man and can I be let go for trying to murder him doesn't matter that I also wanted to murder the Pope it just just let me go Um. Uh, so she's sending off these letters for years to various politicians, trying to call in all the old favors from the people that she knew when she was growing up in the aristocracy. Uh, none of her letters were ever sent; they're all kept in the asylum. They never went out. Or they well, they could have just said she never wrote any letters; she just imagined them. May well, but I'm sure in like an insane asylum, there's, they probably have a box for like letters to the Queen. And another box for like letters to the letters to Winston Churchill. I'm sure she wasn't the only one being like, "I was friends with the Queen, you know. We were good chums. I tried to kill Mussolini, you know, before the goddamn upstarts and the the Italian separatists got Yeah,
2: uh, they, They've got one bag of letters for the Queen, one for the Pope, yeah. one for Santa Claus, and at the end of the year they yeah. just throw them all into the furnace together.
3: <laughs> um, so it's pretty pretty tragic. She pretty pretty much just lives out the rest of her life there. In January of 1951, she's suffering from a high fever, which uh, in 1951, that's the same year that James Joyce's daughter, Lucia, was transferred to the same insane asylum in Northampton. Oh. Yeah. Who
2: would have thought that the daughter of a famous Irish creative would have ended up with a... Uh...
3: Yeah, well, I, do, I only kind of found this out at the end, as was right in the end of the story, but...
2: Yeah, I'd never heard of that. i also never seem, heard
3: of that. Yeah, she also seems... That also, it's also sort of written out of history, and I couldn't find out what her, like... I think, I don't know, was it was something they may be sleeping around a lot, and they were like, well, I don't know what to do with her. Send her to an insane asylum. Apparently, he sent her to Carl Jung to, like, have her Jung uh, inside. Oh, wow. Christ, that's a full episode about this person, or is that just all the information yes. you had on in... her? <laughs> well, no, I'm sure... If I... Wait,
2: are you trying to tell me, Kevin, that, A famous person from the past wasn't a good person.
3: Yeah. Are you going to try and tell me
2: now that I'm going to have (laughs) to try
3: and separate the art from the portrait of a young artist? There you go. So she also dies in this uh, insane asylum. But uh, yes, that is probably a story for a different time. Um, Violet lives on a couple of more years after the fever until... Uh, She dies on the 2nd of May 1956 at the age of 79 Oh good going Yeah which is another kind of part of the tragedy So like she's sick all her life Like really sick a lot Her brothers die young Unexpectedly like her parents die Everyone around her dies She tries to kill herself She can't she fails You can see where she gets the notion That her life is meant for something You know like everyone around her has died She should be dead she just can't die so you can see how she could get like, okay, I guess I'm supposed to kill the Pope.
2: Yeah, it sounds like the plot of a Marvel comic book that you'd get tired of yeah. after
3: about, like, two weeks. <laughs> the editions. woman who couldn't die. Um, but there you go. Yeah, so she tried to kill the woman who shot Mussolini and was sent to prison for it. If you'd believe uh, such a thing. if I would believe such a thing. Uh, that's probably too long of a title for the podcast, but I'm sure you'll come up with something snappier and um, so that's yeah that's it that's another one for women's history month and we'll chat to you next week which might be saint patrick's week
2: it should be if we've timed this out if we've scheduled our episodes correctly which yeah, is a very it high possibility wouldn't be we like haven't. us to
3: yeah. set a schedule and then fuck it up yeah.
2: but uh right you're lucky we'll chat to you next week